0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund and Restore the Mississippi River Delta. And unfortunately, today, my partner in crime is not with us. She went on an amazing trip that we're going to have to hear all about. Um, She went with some folks from Louisiana to look at some of the uh, offshore wind platforms off the coast of Rhode Island that were manufactured by companies right here in Louisiana. I think part of the goal is to understand how Louisiana can leverage uh, that knowledge um, and, you know, the the resources of what Rhode Island has done to see if we can take advantage of um, wind energy in our own state. So definitely a topic we've explored before in the past on Delta Dispatches, uh, and one we'll have to hear about from Simone when she gives us a recap on her her trip. But I'm so excited to have a guest that we've had on multiple times uh, on our show. He's a great partner and great leader in our field and in in Louisiana and beyond. Um, Welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Arthur Johnson, Chief Executive Officer for the Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development, or CSED. How's it going, Arthur?
1: It's going well, Jock. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be on your show um we miss simone too but i have to get her the next time i'm on
0: yeah yeah, we'll have to have you back so we can all be reunited or even better you two should go out to lunch and and have uh some delicious shrimp boys. since that's all i think about now that i'm in minnesota but tell me how are things in new orleans uh it's been hot here so i can only imagine what it's like there
1: well things yeah things here are uh just unbearable um, you know, it's always, as you know, the weather here is always very tropical, but for this year, um, in mid-June, they have temperatures uh, triple digits, uh, heat indexes, and consistently for the last probably about two weeks, with no end in sight all this weekend. I mean, we're talking about temp- triple digits uh, feeling like 110, 111, I mean, consistently. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not good. It's not good because of the heat, but it's also not good because, you know, it's people are not accustomed to, I don't know if you ever get accustomed to that kind of heat, um, and, and consistently and this early. So it's, it's scary to think about what is July and August going to bring, uh, in this, cause it's not going to go back to 80 degrees. Like you, like, you know, it's, it's only, you know, a, a, a cool day now will be I guess in the low 90s, and that's that's really crazy. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: I just I remember, you know, those days and wanting just to have a little bit of a thunderstorm, right? To just maybe cool things off even a little bit, but certainly hoping people stay safe. And and you know, I know uh, a lot of the meteorologists like to talk about being heat aware, making sure you're getting hydration, you're kind of taking breaks where you can if you have to be out in the heat, and just staying safe. Because yeah, those are unbearable temperatures and we hope you get some
1: reprieve soon. Yeah, we hope so. We haven't had any rain either. No rain is in sight until possibly next week. So, you know, that's just um, it's just it's, it's it's something. But, you know, we will survive as as we always do and uh, try to stay as cool as possible. Uh, you know, but it does concern me, particularly for many uh, of the under underserved communities and um, People like seniors who are on fixed incomes, you know, that as uh, they try to determine how to use those resources, both to stay cool, to deal with the economic uh, inflation that's happening and p- increase in prices, gasoline included, and uh, and try to balance that, and you know, that that over the long run is is going to take its toll, and that's a concern that we have in relation of how how we as community leaders, but also uh, from the public sector, the state, and the city, you know, how are they, or what are they thinking about putting in place to address these issues, knowing that they're going to come instead of waiting until, you know, until the disaster hits. And then of course, we're in the, when hurricane season, um, you know, flooding and uh, tornadoes have been happening for months now. And, um, you know, so there's just a lot of, A lot of pressure, a lot of trauma on on people right now and uh, with no relief in sight as we hitting into the summer months. And so it's a bit scary and uncertainty. But, you know, we as an organization are trying to, uh, you know, do what we can and hopefully put some things into place that will provide some relief and also uh, be cautious as we see how the weather is going to happen along the way.
0: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, it's certainly not something you know people often think about when they think about the impacts of disasters, right? I mean, we always talk about hurricanes, but you know this extreme heat and the the impacts that can have, like you said, on the elderly, on those that are under resourced. Um, you know, trying to figure out how to stay cool, cool their homes uh, amid high prices, you know, um, for electricity, and then. On top of that if people have to work outside you know if their livelihood requires them to be outside that's just you know can be unbearable so i'm glad that you all are are raising uh the alarm there to our leaders to see you know what can be done like you said preventatively before you're in this situation and and certainly we're we're thinking about everyone because no doubt and this is something that simone and i highlighted on a prior show when we had um steve caparata on who's a, a local meteorologist to look at hurricane season people are exhausted. And and like you said, it's been one traumatic event after the other. So certainly hope that people and certainly new Orleans and Louisiana spared this hurricane season, but you can't rely on hope alone. So, um, you know, really glad that folks like you are, are helping to, to, to raise the alarm, raise the issue, and, and stand up for kind of some of the communities that are experiencing the brunt of these disasters time after time. So, so Arthur, for those who may have not tuned into prior shows, they should go back and listen to them, but um, tell us a little bit about uh, your work and the work of the Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development.
1: Okay, well, CSCD is a community-based nonprofit. We were created after Hurricane Katrina about 2005. Um, You know, we, over the last, I guess, what is it now, 17 years, um, you know, we've, we've, our focus has been on natural environment, built environment, economic development, and healthy nutrition, and how those contribute to a sustainable community, particularly a community and neighborhoods that are uh, home for underserved People, people of color, uh, again, seniors, many people with with health issues or a combination thereof. Uh, but these families are again, they're they're our core of America. And, um, you know, it's, it's important for us that we find ways to make sure that they um, are kept in in the know and under educated and understand and even activities that relate to them to the focus around the environment. Uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward, we're three-quarters surrounded by water. We have the Mississippi River on one side and the bayou and the wetlands on the other. And across is the Industrial Canal. So the only thing that keeps us from being an island within the city of New Orleans is St. Bernard Parish. You know, so, of course, environment is very important to us. Water is, uh, because we're surrounded by mostly, is, is key in what happens on those coastal areas. And coastal restoration is important. So these are the things that we continue to work with and realize that these domains are not isolated and they continually, they all link together. So they provide a a core for people's livelihoods and quality of life. You know, we saw that with the pandemic starting in in 2020 and still dealing with that in, in many degrees of how, It helps, it can, you know, it can change uh, your whole domain. It can stop everything from A to Z, or as they say, soup to nuts. And, you know, and how do we get back on track? And that's been, of course, very difficult for so many people with, uh, with these issues. And, I mean, we had Hurricane Ida, but we also had a tornado. And that tornado touched a little bit in the lower ninth ward, it's hidden some in New Orleans East and in Araby in St. Bernard Parish. So, uh, you know, we never know what what's what we're going to be faced with um, as we continue to move forward. So it's important that we as an organization make sure that we uh, become a catalyst for our constituents and, and residents, not only in the lower nine, but also along uh, similar communities along the Gulf Coast of Mexico.
0: Yeah. And, and Arthur, I know uh, you and I have talked about this in the past, but certainly when you think about uh, some of these disasters, you know, be it a hurricane, tornado, you know, we were just talking about extreme heat, uh, floods. I mean, it's impossible to separate those disasters from issues such as human health or, you know, uh disconnect the environment from someone's livelihoods. And, and I know that's something that you all focus on a lot, is just how all these pieces connect, right? You know, how the coast connects to people's lives, how, how you know, an event kind of is uh, amplified in terms of the impact because of what people have been going through for years and decades and centuries before that. So can you talk a little bit about how your organization serves as a bridge between people and the environment, and, and I guess both directions?
1: Well, you know, we we are that catalyst for um, people and and, and what we've always believed in is that the environmental issues that we face, subsidence, uh, sea rise, um, flooding, these things are very important, but they really become truly connected when you start talking about how they impact people, how they impact people's lives, their heritage, their culture. And this is why we feel it's so important that, you know, we as an organization, you know, to be multidimensional and yes, it's, it's important to educate community about these issues, but it's also bringing how these issues relate to what's important to me or what's important to them. And within that, we, we find that uh, it's so important to make sure that our, our constituents and our members of all communities, it doesn't matter from, the most affluent to the least affluent are part of there and that are, and are understood why environment is important and, and how you play a role in making sure that the environment and the, and the world that we live in um, will be solvent for now and for the future. It also means you need to understand a little bit about the past because that helps you to get to know why, why it's so important for now and what is our future going to look like. If the things that we did in the past are impacting what we have to do in the future to catch up and to keep things going. So this becomes our role. And that means that though we're a small organization, we take on the same uh, challenges and roles of of our bigger or larger uh, nonprofits. And we work together collaboratively to make sure that all residents, including those uh, in the lower ninth ward and. Uh, Lower-income communities are also part of the discussion, and to be at the table, not just on the table, when these decisions are being made. We also bring this about to our political uh, constituents uh, at the local, state, and federal levels, realizing that it's very important not to leave, you know, any member of the community out, particularly those who are going to be most impacted by the decisions being made by you know, by people that don't necessarily live in that community. So, so these are the kind of the things that that brings that connection and that we've been doing over the last 17 years. And, uh, you know, it's always a challenge and it's always very, very invigorating because we, there's always new things coming about and new opportunities that we try to take advantage of to bring more focus on our community, but also to bring more intellectual uh, strategizing among community and public officials and, and, and corporations as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great, really powerful answer, Arthur. And and I know that plays out in a number of different ways. And like you said, there are a number of different opportunities that come up and one recently that was highlighted and um, by the uh, New Orleans advocate times, Picayune and reporter Mike Smith was about the need for Mr. Go ecosystem restoration. And, and this is something that I know, Um, your organization and others, you know, our organization, National Wildlife Federation, the whole Mr. Go must go coalition has been advocating for for a long time. And certainly since Katrina, um, there was an article published, Louisiana's hurricane highway came with a high price. Another bill is due. And so we know that Congress is considering funding for Mr. Go ecosystem restoration um, at various levels of funding. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, I know we've covered it on the show before, but, you know, in terms of Mr. Go, why that channel was so damaging? And then in terms of the opportunity looking ahead, why the restoration of the ecosystem in and around Mr. Go and, and the Lower Ninth Ward in St. Bernard is so important to the future of communities there?
1: Well, the, you know, the Mr. Go, you know, has a, a again, a long history and <clears throat> its importance to not only the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans, uh, but also to our surrounding parishes as well. And those that also feed into um, the, the Mississippi River, that feed into the wetlands that again, going uh, into the port of New Orleans and probably even going all the way up to the, the, the port in Baton Rouge. Um, you know, it's, it, the Mystigo has, because it, the, it, once it was built, it therefore uh, allowed uh, salt water from the Gulf to get into our bayou, bayou Bienvenue, and that destroyed our cypress swamp, and our cypress farm, uh, which this the swamp was so important to protecting uh, the community of New Orleans and uh, the skyline of New or- of, of New Orleans and, and the French Quarter, because any storm coming up through um, the Gulf of Mexico going towards New Orleans would kind of, that would provide some uh, breakage of the wind and of the water uh, surf going in and that it wouldn't be such a powerful impact on, uh, on the communities and neighborhoods as well as the uh, shoreline of, of downtown New Orleans. Uh, But once Mr. Go was, was built and uh, it destroyed the cypress trees and that multiple lines of defense was no longer there. And so now we have the stumps of where cy- large cypress trees used to be on that basis. Um, with the closing of the Mystigo <clears throat> and you know we had Hurricane Katrina and uh, that too caused Hurricane Katrina and the impact of that hurricane to truly be devastating to, uh, to New Orleans particularly. And uh, I'm sure it had great impact on the uh, compromising of the levees, which therefore caused the flooding where 80% of New Orleans was underwater. Um, so as we move forward, <laughs> once that was rectivated and the federal government said, well, OK, it's sort of our fault. We get about as much, um, I guess, blame as they're willing to take. Uh, then, you know, they closed the Mystigo. So then, of course, the Bayou Bienvenue itself was started to, you know, start to change. But of course, by itself, it's a very long natural, long process for the solidity in the water. And then to be able to grow cypress trees and make it a cypress swamp, which once was, it will require that we'd have to pump sediment into, uh, into the Bayou because the water level is too high and remains too high on that basis. Uh, and, that, and that's what we're looking at is some uh, recovery, should we say, for the bayou, uh, if the, the federal government is willing to, you know, to repair what they destroy. Uh, it also has impact on our on our communities, um, you know, insurance rates, for example, you know, going sky high because of uh, the mist to go and, and then the flooding. Um so these are the things that truly could um, make a difference in um, helping <clears throat> helping our community economy as well, uh, and the safety in in our neighborhoods, uh, also reducing, you know the, the high insurance rates that, that are there because of that. Uh, so these are all these these are all important and, and they're important impacting because they're impacting people and the people that live there uh, are having to, to deal with that. They're again, they're not affluent, so they couldn't just pack up and move away after Hurricane Katrina, you know, or sell their property or, and, and go somewhere else, um, you know, and so they 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 stay there and they rebuilt and they're dealing with this on an everyday basis. And it's become you know, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and so it's so important to to get the government, hopefully, to, uh, you know, to put up with what it did and uh, not only admit that it was wrong, but also to to rectify it. And that can change not only the Lower Ninth War, but also can change New Orleans itself and help that way, as well as the a, as a surrounding communities of St. Bernard and Jefferson Parish as well, uh, who also have, were impacted by uh with the Mystico being there, but the New Orleans was great, had the greatest impact. So, you know, we constantly are, we don't give up we're relentless, uh, you know, in that article, which was really great to uh, to be on the front page of the Time Picayune and to really get some of these points out. And I think one thing, Jacques, that was really important to me was, it was a show that, first of all, a person of color, an organization run by, a person of color, that we're very much concerned about what goes on in our environment. Uh, is a a small nonprofit that we stand very strong with our larger nonprofits like National Wildlife Federation and National Audubon Society and others to say that, yeah, we're right there with you. And it's important to us, too. And as, as we live in an urban environment, these things are just as important to us as they are to anyone else. And we want to be recognized for that. And we want to be counted as part of in the discussion of how we bring about and rectify these problems. So this is what we've been constantly fighting on in our part of our policy avenue. You know, and and again, we continually seem to make some progress. We're in the master plan, uh, the coastal master plan of the state. But unfortunately, we have not been able to move out of just being in the plan To move to where some action can be done, but we're still hopeful that maybe one day that will happen. But it's this kind of recognition that I think continually brings it into focus and so important to the work that we do and why we do it, because it's designed to help people and impact those who many times have the least amount of effort that they can help to impact themselves.
0: No. Thanks, Arthur, and I, I mean I would just say you know I think your partnership and your leadership and support there is crucial and and absolutely fundamental to that work moving forward. Um and and so thank you for everything you've been doing and and uh, all the other organizations as well, um that are part of the Mister Go Must Go Coalition. Uh, you know, and it includes like you said, larger organizations, and it includes you know community based organizations that have been working with. Residents and and people on the ground for for a long time, and it takes all those efforts um, to really move it forward. And just say, I think a few years ago, uh, you were involved in the release of a report, Mister Go, the Road to Recovery, that included uh, Pontchartrain Conservancy and others, and, and scientists with Pontchartrain Conservancy looked at the impacts since the closure of, of the Mister Go Channel, and they noted that there's been some positive uh, impacts to the environment. You know, areas where they're replanting cypress trees where they're able to survive and wildlife coming back. And so it's just a sign of hope, even among the destruction and, and how terrible Mr. Go was, that by making that change and closing the channel, um, you've been able to see salinities return to normal and, and kind of some of these areas start to recover, which makes them really prime for this large scale restoration that you were talking about and, and have been advocating for to Congress. So we'll have to certainly keep Um, Everyone apprised of what happens with that legislation, and and hope that Congress, you know, can really pay the debt that is owed to people in the Lower Ninth Ward and Saint Bernard and New Orleans East and other communities from that devastating channel. So um, certainly, we'll keep folks posted. But thank you again, Arthur, for all your work and leadership there. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about. I mean, you're busy, like you said, and we talked about. I mean, the pandemic, obviously, it's not over. We're just kind of in this. Place where we're where things are opening up and things are going. People are going back to normal. Hopefully, you know, um, you know, with vaccines and stuff and safely. But, but you all have been busy and you have some new programming that's coming out. So tell us about some of the exciting new programs that you all are launching and have launched recently through CSED.
1: Well, we um, thank you, Jock. We we have a couple of new uh, initiatives that are have generated uh, probably since last we talked. One was. Uh, Our environmental research internship program for high school students. We launched that last summer. Uh, It's a year round internship of high school students, basically grades eight through 12. And uh, it is designed as research. So they learn the research uh, philosophy and and research patterns. They're doing environmental research in relation of either water, soil or air or a combination thereof in many ways. And so and then they're tying that research like community and citizen research into their communities. So it's not only just doing research as an academic exercise, but it's really taking what the the research and how it's focused into their own communities, into their own lives, which then makes it they are able to understand better about the environment. But they're also able to understand their communities and why it's important and why they is Our future leaders need to be more focused in in doing that. And so then they're having fun at it. You know, we have guest speakers. uh, We've had speakers from National Wildlife Federation. We will again this year. uh, We have field trips where they've gone to like Bayou Sauvage. Um, They've taken uh, boat trips along the Mississippi River through the Port of New Orleans. Uh, And we're hoping that this year they also will be able to take a, a water trip to the surge barrier and see and see that wonderful monstrosity of, of event there on that basis uh but they're tying all that to again, in together of why it's important and so year round you know we meet with them after the summer uh, about once a month they have also presented uh last year in november they presented at the mayor's neighborhood um neighborhood Comp summit and uh, they were the youngest a uh, group of uh, presenters uh, to present at that, at that summit. And, uh, you know, it was exciting for me, but even I think for them, you know, to be on that, that stage. Then also in, um, in April, they presented at the, the historically black colleges and universities climate change conference. And uh, they presented their research and is a research, is a research um um, piece there as a group, and won an award at that conference for that. And they, you know, this was a conference; they were the only high school group there. The other presenters were at college and graduate level. So once again, we're we're putting them on stage where they're competing uh, at a higher level than than their peers. But it's so important because it's building, not only building their research, but it's also building their confidence as young people and and um, and understanding, you know, again, why it's important for them, the knowledge base. And it can be fun doing that. And there can be rewards that they can get from that, like winning, winning that reward. Um, Another thing that we've launched uh, about three weeks ago was a glass recycling program. This was a program that we had been talking about for uh latter part of last year. We finally uh launched that and uh it works with another nonprofit called Glass Half Full. And uh and so we are we built uh, bins where people can bring their glass in the lower ninth ward. There are about 10 locations. Drop off there no one has to be there. They can just put it into the bin. And then that glass is taken, recycled, and recycled back to sand. And then those sand, that sand will be put in the sandbags, and we will use that those sandbags as um, a mode to prevent flooding as we, you know, reach into into this season. So it's 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 taking, you know, both getting the community involved. We've done some workshops. With And we will continue to do that with community members on, you know, the importance of glass and the importance of sand and how that, how that goes together <clears throat> and works together, but it gets the community involved. And so, you know, hopefully it'll take some of that glass that people are throwing into, uh, into open, open areas. And, and again, that, uh, it will be also a safety factor there, but, it, but more so it, it brings people to understand that, many, most people are very much concerned about their environment, their community. And uh, many times we get a bad rap because for the, the work of a few who litter, that it is assumed that the whole community is, uh, is like that. And that's not the case. Uh, go ahead. So
0: you're not busy at all, Arthur. And, and I want to dig into that. I mean, first on the internship, I, I mean, and this is coming from someone who went to high school in New Orleans, you know, I mean, at the same time, like I knew the levees were there and I knew like, you know, there were wetlands and stuff, but in terms of understanding our connection to them or the impacts the levees had on our wetlands or, you know, the significance of the Mississippi river and our environment, I mean, there was like none of that knowledge, right. That we had in, 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 growing up there. And we kind of took for granted, like, I mean, I know this is a message you emphasize constantly, New Orleans is a coastal city, but Growing up, we didn't really think about New Orleans as a coastal city in that way, of course, until Hurricane Katrina. So what an incredible opportunity, educational opportunity, and also just learning opportunity for so many of these young uh, elite future leaders, right, in our region. And, and hopefully, you know, I assume that's part of the goal of the internship, but, you know, it is kind of grooming that next generation of leaders that can take on these, this work, you know, when, when you and I retire and, uh, and, and, you know, the work will still be needed, that work will still uh, have to be done by someone. So it's great that you're creating that pipeline of talent for our future coastal environmental and city leaders.
1: Yes, definitely. You know, and it's the kind of thing that um, with this program, you know, and again, we, we have been talking about it for a few years and then uh, the pandemic came and we postponed it. And then we got into 2021, we said, oh, come on, let's just do it, (laughs) you know, and let's see what happens. And so that's when we launched it there. And so this year, uh, session will be from June 27th through July uh, 22nd. But again, it's a year round program. So we take students in and again, we don't turn down any student and there's no cost. Uh, It's just a commitment that the student has to make to uh, be part of the program and be serious. And, you know, we provide mentoring. Uh, as we said, we have speakers and we have field trips and, and activities that make it fun. And And they're part of the CSCD family. And so last year when we had Hurricane Ida, our intern, intern families, we provided uh, mutual aid to them after Hurricane uh, Ida, because we knew that that impacted all of us Uh, in the, in the greater New Orleans area. And so we were providing, we're able to provide some, through some other organization, mutual aid, uh, grants to our interns. So this is what, this is what it means to be part of the CSED family. And once you're there, you're always there. And our goal is that we'll continue these with these students. And as they graduate out of high school, you know, we'll find scholarship money for them. And and again, you know, they are future leaders of of tomorrow.
0: Great. And, and I also want to touch base on the glass recycling. So that's super exciting. Um, I know, you know, there are many times in New Orleans where we couldn't recycle some of our glass. And 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 to see that not only is that, are you making that an option for people, like you said, so it just doesn't go in a landfill somewhere, but, but it's actually going to an organization that's helping to turn that glass into something that can be used, you know, to benefit our coast and to help protect people from flooding. We've had the folks from Glass Half Full, on the show in the past, and they—I mean, they, it's incredible to see the innovation and kind of what they've been able to do um, with that resource. So uh, again, really exciting and, and just connecting, uh, you know, people to to the issue. And and so uh, you mentioned there's different drop-off points that that people can bring their uh, glass to.
1: Yeah, there. Uh, you if you go in the lower ninth, you'll see these these big bins that are. Um, a very bright fluorescent lime green color. And that more than likely is a recycling bin. And there's, you know, there's messaging on it. So, you know what it is. And all you have to do is just you're able to take your glass and drop it in there. And, um, you know, and again, as we're having these different engagements in the community, you know, we're we have bags that we give to our community residents where they can, so they can haul the glass in. And they're, you know, they're recyclable and reusable uh, on that basis. And so, you know, we're promoting, again, uh, a cleaner environment. Um, and, and and that's just how they're getting engaged. And then they're asking questions. So we're able to talk to them about not only about glass recycling, but about clean energy, you know, the reducing the carbon footprint, all those things. So it opens up an opportunity to be able to uh, do that in such a way that, is both beneficial uh, and educational to our community and through our organization.
0: Well, uh, again, two really great programs in addition to everything else that you have going on. So you're you're busy, no doubt. Tell folks where can they go one to just learn more about these programs and the work of CSCD, and then two, how can they support you um, in your efforts?
1: Well, at CSCD, you can reach us. Uh, through my email address, which is ajohnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at sustainthenine.org. That's S-U-S-T-A-I-N-T-H-E-N-I-N-E.org. Or you can personally give me a call. My cell is 504-421-9643. And again, I encourage people to reach out to me uh, and we'd definitely like to get you involved. And of course, we can't do this work without the support of donors and donations and grants. And that's how we, we stay around and we've been around for 17 years. So we take donations. Um, we definitely glad to take donations from everybody to support our programs, to be part of our programs and to be volunteers to help. You know, we do drainage cleaning in our communities and we also have a nursery of cypress trees that we're growing and we've expanded that in Orleans Parish, Jefferson Parish and St. Bernard Parish. So we might be little, but we're, you know, we're still hanging in there. We always got a lot of new stuff and we always need fresh minds and uh, strong backs as we continue to do this work. And of course we can also take those donations that support our services for our young people, for our seniors and for our community. So Jock really appreciate being on the program once again and look forward to uh, connecting with you anytime. Definitely. We're glad to be back on your show.
0: Well, absolutely, Arthur. And the the pleasure is all mine. And I'm going to say Simone's too and in her absence, because I know she would love to have you on at any point. So just one more time, I want to remind folks they can go to sustainthenine.org to learn about the amazing program and work that uh, Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement Development has and does on a, a daily basis in the communities in New Orleans on the ground. And please consider supporting their work and donating the help um, and the amazing work that they're doing to have an impact um, every day on people's lives. So, Arthur, before I let you go, you know, we have to do a fun question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to try. I've been, all I can think about is food, right? And New Orleans <laughs> food and one and food. I'm going to try not to do a food question. Yeah, but do a food question. Uh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, what is the, 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 your favorite thing? I mean, it's hot, you know, we, we established that. What is your favorite thing to eat in the summer? It's just like a, a treat, a refresh. It could be refreshing. It could be just, you know, uh, well, summer snack. What's your go-to summer dish?
1: Two things. One is uh, daiquiris, you know, snowballs. You can't get away from that. You know, and and New Orleans is unique about its snowballs than anywhere else in the country. Uh, And the other thing I love to eat is, of course, in summer is crabs. Oh, yeah. You can't get away from the seafood. Uh, It's crab becoming crab season, crawfish season. Uh, Pretty much is about over now. You know, we'll have a little break, and so the crabs will kick in. And there's nothing like having, you know, steam crabs and uh, and a daiquiri to uh, to make the summer go by.
0: All right. Well, I feel like uh, Simone is probably going to, you know, uh, thank you tremendously because my likelihood of traveling back to New Orleans in the near future has just gone up uh, considerably (laughs) after (laughs) your talk of of boiled crabs and and daiquiris and snowballs. I have to ask because this is a running a running joke, I guess, on Delta Dispatches. Favorite
1: snowball flavor? Uh it is ice cream, cream, and chocolate. Ooh. You know, it's uh it's really good. That sounds uh, it's good. It's rich, but it's really good.
0: Yeah. That sounds good. Actually, I do like the the chocolate ice cream kind of so, so I made the mistake many years ago on the show of saying that my favorite flavor is spearmint, and Simone mm. has not let me let live it down. <laughs> she likes to bring it up. Whenever she can I hey, when it's hot outside, I think there's nothing more refreshing and cooling than the spearmint snowball, but that's just me. So. <laughs> um, well, Arthur, thanks again. Um, we really appreciate all your work and your being on and, and being such a great partner for us as always. And, and I just want to remind folks one more time, they can go to sustainthenine.org to learn more about CSED and, and all the great work that they do.
1: Well, thank you, Jock. And this has been always a pleasure talking to you. And um, please tell Simone. Uh, we'll have to get together and uh, continue the conversation.
0: That sounds great, and I certainly will. Well, now it is time for our Coastal Stat of the Week, and this is from the Train Conservancy. In 2006, the Mr. Go cost taxpayers nearly $20,000 for each vessel traveling in the channel. When the Corps dredged the channel, they converted 20,000 acres of wetlands to open water and allowed salt water to flow inland from the Gulf, eventually damaging an additional 7,600 acres of wetland and lagoon habitat. Um, And and according to an analysis by Dogwood Alliance, Louisiana's wetland forests are worth 74.9 billion to the economy. Um, Impressive stats there. And then our coastal voice. Oh, Arthur, we didn't mention, we need to talk about this, but we'll talk about it in a second. Um, This is from a speech you gave upon reception of the River Hero Award. And you said, it is extremely important as we make moves that we have movement and mission. I like to say my charge today to myself and to each of you is that we have to make systemic change, changing our systems for the betterment of our environmental community. And we have to do that through the efforts that we do every day, except that we have to work harder, we have to work smarter, and we have to work together. We have to bring that equity into our systems. Our systems have been fractured and compromised and to make them whole again, to make them work, that means each and every one of us has to do that and that is from our guest Arthur Johnson. Arthur, congratulations on receiving the River River Hero Award. Um, tell us really quickly a little bit about the award and and just you know again uh, congratulations on the well deserved recognition.
1: Well, the River Hero Award is from the River Network, is a national organization that I've been a part of for about the last six or seven years, and a River Hero Award means that you know to recognize all the hard work that you do in relation of your community and other communities and promoting the importance uh, and restoration of our watersheds and our waterways and how they impact our environment. So uh, I was, I was recommended and I was, you know, pleased to be, uh, to be a member of the River Hero, I guess, alumni on that basis, Um, you know, and, you know, and there, there haven't been a lot of River Heroes out of New Orleans and even less, of people of color, so uh, I was—I felt it was an opportunity to address the, you know, the crowd that was at the conference and really uh, express how I felt as it relates to our movement and how our systems are, uh, have been compromised and are broken, and that we can fix them, but it's going to take a lot to do that, and it's going to take everybody working together to make a difference.
0: Well, congratulations again, and I'm really proud that you are representing New Orleans and representing our work, um, you know, uh, on a national stage. And you received that very important and well deserved national recognition. And like you said, I'm really proud that you know your community and you were recognized with your community as well for receiving that award. So, congratulations, and thank you again for being on Arthur. Yeah. And and to everyone else, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more Delta Dispatches. And until then, we'll see y'all later, alligators. (laughs)